Our scripture lesson this morning is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It's Paul's telling of the resurrection story. So often we look at the gospel narratives. This morning we're telling the first recorded description of that first Easter morning. Now I'd remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you which you received and in which you stand, and by which you are being saved if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy even to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that was in me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you have believed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We come this morning asking the question, what really matters? Because as we go through life, we spend an awful lot of time fixated on things that are not really that important. Do I have an amen? Arizona Cardinals coach Cliff Kingsbury announced at a recent coaches meeting that he will now allow players to take breaks from their meetings so they can go check their cell phones. I guess cell phones have kind of become a thing in our society, haven't they? The average American has debt, and the average American pays $8,000. $37 in interest each year. I guess we have decided as a country that debt matters. Now, did you know you probably worry about things? This is a quiz for everybody. You can shut your eyes, not really. How many of you ever worry? Put those hands up. Okay. How many of you never worry? Okay. Well, if, if that was the case, there's another church for you, but this isn't it. Okay. If you worry, you're in good company because did you know the average American spends one hour and 50 minutes worrying each day? Do you know what you get for that worrying? Nothing. There's no payback on it. Now again, we're talking about what really matters. What's important? What do we make most important in our life? Well, prayer certainly should be important. In fact, 87% in a recent poll of Americans said they believe God answers prayer. That's a good thing. Also, this surprised me, a Gallup survey, 49% of all high school students said they would like to attend a prayer meeting after school. You heard me right. 49% of American high school students said they would like to, and if they had one, they would attend a prayer meeting after school. So we heard all those things that aren't important, And we would like to think that prayer is important, but did you know that only 31% of Bible-believing Christians set aside time every day to pray? You hear that? 
We worry. We, we, we spend an hour and 50 minutes worrying. We could change that and go down to an hour and 40 minutes and spend 10 minutes of it in prayer. But only 31% do. This morning is Easter. It's a time to ask the question, what matters? What's really important in our life? In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, as I already mentioned, it's a first recorded telling of the resurrection. The Apostle Paul begins in verse 3 with an interesting way of talking. He says, I delivered to you as of first importance. The word that he uses here is the word protos. Now, do we have any physicists in the house? Anybody who was good in physics in school? I guess a smart congregation. Okay, here we go. We got a science teacher here. I'm not going to pick on you too much. The word protoss got used for something in physics. What would that be? Proton. Absolutely. I'm not going to ask her the second question. The second question is in 1920, who exactly was a physicist who named it? No. No. No, we'll have the discussion later. No, it was Ernest Rutherford. I sound really smart. Google is amazing for getting some of these answers. But the point is, Proton, Ernest Rutherford named as the, the small part of an atom that is an element that is of first importance. The Apostle Paul first uses that word, Protoss, first importance, most important thing to describe what we're going to talk about this morning with regard to the resurrection. Basically, we're getting the element, the basic element of our faith, the proton, the thing upon which everything else is built upon. And really, Paul says in our text, there's three aspects of what is most important or what should be most important to us as Christians. And the first is that Christ died for our sins. Verse 3, I delivered to you, Paul says, as of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. Now, we've talked about it a lot of times. The word sin is the word harmatia. It means we miss the mark. We all miss the mark in our life. If we think of how we live, if we lived an absolutely perfect life, we would then never sin, we would never miss the mark, and we would be awesome people. Everybody would just want to be with us, or else they wouldn't want to be with us because we would so, be so perfect. So here's where you get to have a little bit more honest confession. How many of you have ever done anything wrong? Anything. Get those hands up. Exactly. We sin. We miss the mark. We are not perfect. And God knows and understands that we're not perfect. And what also occurs when we do something wrong, we incur a little bit of a debt. Now, you experience it if you have somebody else who's ever offended you, and you understand there's like a debt there that needs to be paid back. There's a problem in the relationship. There's something that's just a little bit askew. But Paul wants us to understand the first importance in our faith is that Jesus paid that debt. Dying upon the cross, laying in the tomb those three days, suffering for you and for me. Christ died for our sins. Do I get an amen? amen. Folks, that is good news. I was early in my ministry, and I hadn't moved to New England yet. I was serving as a student pastor in a little town called Waterloo, Indiana. 
And one Sunday, some friends who had a child in my youth group took me out to lunch, and it was a great lunch. Really enjoyed it. Nice steak, nice tender and juicy. They paid the the meal, and the next week I was so excited. I had a beautiful girlfriend named Regina, and I said, Honey, I've got the perfect restaurant to take you to. So we go in, we sit down, we order. Our meal is there. Halfway through the meal, somebody walks over and says, What are you doing here? I said, What do you mean, what are we doing here? They said, Don't you know that this is a private country club and you're not members? I said, I'm a kid from North Dakota. I didn't even know there was such a thing as a private country club. Well, they let us pay our meal, and I thought that was the end of it until the next Sunday the Suttons came up to us kind of laughing, and they said, so you crashed our private country club, huh? I said, they told you. They said, yeah, not only did they tell us, they made us pay a little bit extra for letting you be there and not letting us know. They paid our debt. They paid for something that we had done wrong. We all do things wrong. We all sin. We all miss the mark. It's a constant thing in our life, but for all the times we eat at the wrong restaurant, for all of the times we mess up, we say what we shouldn't, we have the thought towards somebody else we shouldn't, we do the things that we look back on and feel bad about. Here's the good news. It's of first importance. Christ paid that debt. It's paid. It's over. It's done. And then Paul throws in what I would call today a little hashtag, and he goes, according to the Scriptures. That's not just what he's writing. That's letting us know that this very thing that has happened, Christ dying for our sins, has been predicted for thousands of years, and you can read all about it in the Old Testament. And so when we come to Easter and we look at what's most important, we begin with the understanding of grace and forgiveness in our lives, and it's by that which we stand. Because, folks, if it wasn't for Christ dying for our sins, we'd carry a whole lot of baggage around. But all we have to do is accept that love, accept that grace, accept that forgiveness, and it's given to each one of us. Paul doesn't end there. He's saying, I'm talking about what's protos, what's first, what's most important. And he continues in verse 4, and he says, not only did Christ die for our sins, Christ rose on the third day. Verse 4, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Here the word that Paul uses is the word aiairo. Now I know you didn't come this morning expecting a physics class and an English grammar class, but I'm going to give it to you anyhow. This word aiairo, which Paul uses, is a perfect passive verb. That means the passive side of it is when he says he was raised, that it's not something that Jesus did himself. That God the Father, with all of his might and power and strength beyond anything that we can imagine, brought our Savior back to life. It was done for him. Just the same power that's accessed in our life when we trust in Christ. But the perfect side of the verb means that it didn't just happen, but a perfect verb is one that continues to occur even after the event. So what Paul is saying is Christ didn't just, wasn't just raised, he continues to be raised. He didn't just die for our sins and come back to life. He's still alive and continues not only in his time here on earth, but to rise and reign on high. 
Could the resurrection be a misdiagnosis? Could it have been just somehow that he had fallen asleep and they had failed to realize that he really wasn't dead? The Apostle Paul says that's not even a possibility because not only was he raised, he continues to be raised. Not only is he alive, he continues to stay alive. And staying alive confirms a miracle. It's why that hymn we like to sing, he lives, he lives, Christ Jesus lives today. How do I know he lives? He lives within my heart. We continue to experience the resurrection of Christ. It was November 11th, 1996. A very important day in the Cushing household because Regina and I were getting excited because the next day she was going to be induced and give birth to our second child. Now, the pregnancy had been very difficult, and we had actually thought more than once that we were going to lose the baby. But now it was nothing but celebration in the Cushing household. That night, Regina tucked David into bed, said his prayers with him, read the Bible, talked to him a little bit. And right before Regina left the room, he looked up and said, Mommy, I don't think I really want to be a big brother. (laughs) Now we have a perfect tense verb. David had a little brother and still has a little brother. It happened and continued. You can never take away from David the fact that he is the big brother of Todd. He reminds him of it every single time. He sees it too. That's the perfect tense. Jesus raised and he's still raised. Does that matter? Absolutely. Because our sins were forgiven and they stay forgiven. You know those times when we want to take something back in our life and start feeling guilty about something? Jesus says, remember, I was raised and I stay raised. You're forgiven and you stay forgiven. Our problems can be solved if we give them to God, but they stay solved. Our fears are taken care of and they stay taken care of. That's the point of the resurrection. It's not just what happened. It's what continues to happen in our lives today. As we understand what's of first importance to allow God's forgiveness to hit our lives so that we don't have to carry the baggage of our past and allow that resurrection to continue to be part of our life today and every single day, which is why Paul then ends it with the third part of what's most important when he says, and then he appeared to many witnesses. Verses 5 through 8. Then he appeared to Cephas. Then he appeared to the twelve. Verse 6, he goes on, goes, Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James. Then he appeared to the apostles. And last of all, as one untimely born, he appeared also to me. Do you listen to that list? of who saw Jesus alive? It starts with Cephas. We know him as Peter. He's a denier. Think about that. The one who denied Jesus three times is now the one who saw him raised and he was later crucified upside down for his faith. When he was martyred for his faith, Peter said, I don't even want to be crucified the way my Savior was. Crucify me upside down. You think he saw something that changed his life? Then he says the disciples. Now we know the disciples because they're the deserters. You remember on Good Friday when they're all gathered around the cross? Oh, that's right. They weren't gathered around the cross. 
because out of fear they deserted and they weren't there. We only have John, who's there taking care of Mary, and the rest of them are nowhere to be found. But later they become the first witnesses and the martyrs for their very faith. Then, Paul says, there were 500 who saw him. Now that's the crowd. That's the mob that on the week before were calling for his crucifixion. Now they're the first Pentecostals. Go read about them in Acts chapter 2. When all of a sudden the multitudes start hearing and seeing what's taking place and the Holy Spirit starts falling on people and they start speaking in different languages and in great enthusiasm and build the early church. Then, Paul says, if I haven't told you enough of who saw him, there's also James. Now, James is the brother of Jesus, and I think it's pretty important that we remember why it's the brother of Jesus who saw him alive, because you know you can fool some of the people some of the time, and maybe you can fool the majority of people, but you really can't fool your brothers and sisters. And so what Paul lets us see is the very brother of our Savior saw him alive and not only witnessed to him, he goes on and he wrote an epistle, a letter of James. And then Paul ends it and says, last of all, he appeared to me. Paul, we know, is a persecutor. The one who so despised the early church that he was there egging them on as they're stoning Stephen. And he himself is doing everything to tear down the early church. But having seen the resurrected Christ, he becomes our greatest missionary. He becomes the early theologian from which all of the things that we believe seem to go through the Apostle Paul And eventually, he himself became a martyr. If you read the book of Philippians, the Apostle Paul, now being transformed by having seen the resurrected Christ, is in prison. He's in prison for something he didn't even do himself. He's been unfairly locked up, and he's probably going to die there in prison. And what does he say? I'm living a great life. This is awesome. Stay positive the way I'm positive. Because remember, folks, for me to live is Christ. And even if I die, it's gain. I'll go to heaven. And so right now, he writes to the Philippians and he says, I have an opportunity to share the gospel, the good news with people I wouldn't be able to if I wasn't sitting here in prison. You think the resurrection made a difference in his life? Every single one of these early witnesses who saw Jesus alive were transformed and they built the early church. Reminds me of my freshman year in college. I was taking a course from an atheist who was a humanities professor, and he spent a great deal of time attacking the Christian faith. Good for me as a young Christian believer to be challenged on every single thing that I believed. And then one day he said something that I asked him to repeat, and I wrote it down. He said, what troubles me most about you Christians is that I can explain away everything except why those disciples who denied Jesus and fled from him were willing to die for him after they witnessed the resurrection. Hear what he said? Does the appearances matter? Absolutely they matter. The Apostle Paul is giving us what's first importance in our faith, that Christ died, that he rose again, that he paid the debt, and not only was this according to the Scriptures because it was predicted, but it was witnessed by more than 500 and all these different people who saw it. And so we remember what C.S. Lewis said about our faith. He said, in the end, we have to make a decision on who this guy Jesus is. 
And he said, you really only have three possibilities. The guy could have been a lunatic. Because he said, if you and I go around and we start telling people we're the Son of God and we rose from the dead, people are going to think we're crazy. Like if I stood up here this morning and I said, I've got really good news, folks. I died on Tuesday. Down at Cartmill Funeral Home, they did a funeral for me on Wednesday. And I came back to life on Friday and I'm here preaching a sermon. You'd probably be on the phone with my bishop or district superintendent saying, get this guy out of here. The other possibility with Jesus is he could have been a liar. He could have stood before people and made everything up, talking about being the Son of God, predicting his death, burial, and resurrection, saying that you need to live your life a different way, not only to experience grace, but you need to be forgiven, and you need to forgive other people. And people could have looked at him and said, he's not really a Son of God. Because again, if I said that, maybe if I hadn't, said I died and rose again, but if I said, I am the Son of God, the Messiah, if you didn't think I was crazy, you'd probably certainly say, Pastor Stan is a liar. Because you know what? I'm not the Son of God. I didn't die and I didn't get raised. So for me, it'd be a lunatic or a liar. And he said, those are possibilities you can put with Jesus, but you can't just make him a good man. Because look at the stuff that he's attesting to. He's telling us he is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through him. He's making some pretty bold claims here. And the last possibility, and the reason why we're here this morning, is because he's not a lunatic, and he wasn't a liar. He is Lord. Hallelujah. He's Lord. Do you know how we know he's Lord? According to the scriptures, it was predicted. For thousands of years, we can read about the things that were going to take place. And even though people didn't understand it, it did take place. He had his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And then he was seen by Peter. He was seen by the disciples. He was seen by 500 witnesses. He was viewed by his own brother, who early on in his ministry said, this guy's crazy. I don't know what this guy Jesus is talking about. And now he becomes a great leader in the early church. And he was testified by the Apostle Paul himself. And so this morning, this Easter, with all the things we make important, I invite you to really consider what matters in your life. What truly matters. Because Easter is a time for us to pause and to remember the one who not only gave his life for us and only died so that if we receive the gift of salvation, we can be forgiven. He gives us the opportunity to live our life a new way and start having healing in our relationships, our relationship with God, our relationship with ourselves, our relationship with our family. But it's not about us being in control and thinking we have to do it. It's about turning our life over to the one who gave everything for you and me and who today we celebrate with these words, Christ is risen, he is risen indeed. At this time, here at Faith Community Church, after we have allowed the scripture and the word to be poured into us, we take this moment of deep reflection just to be still here in the Lord's house. That during the words that were spoken today by Pastor Stan, we offer this time to come to the cross. 
for somebody who has been hearing Christ knock at their door to their heart and their soul. And today, the realization that yes, yes, Christ Lord, I need to receive you. I need to give my problems and my sorrows. I need to turn it all over to you. This is a time where we welcome you to come forward to receive him. If you realize today as well that, you know, Lord, I've been going on my way and on my journey and on my path, and I've forgotten in the busyness of my day to just stop and pray, to reach out to you. This too is the time where we welcome you to come forward. To allow our problems to be solved and stay solved. To allow our fears to stay gone and be gone. This is where we welcome you. We welcome you to the cross with all of the love, all of the grace, all of the mercy that was shown to us on this Resurrection Sunday. I ask you just to take one moment and just to listen to your heart and to listen to Christ. 